five, four, three, two, one. <laughs> You're doing the Thomas thing. <laughs> yeah, but he never listened to it, so he didn't. He didn't know that you left that in every single time. Yeah. Do you think he listens to us? Probably not. No, he doesn't listen to podcast. Oh. Which is, I always always thought that was so funny because he's he's that liberal elite type who, you know, podcasts are made for, right? Like people interested in politics and specialty subjects who are of a certain demographic and, you know, he fits the age and all that stuff. Well, and the technology, right? Doesn't he have the AirPods and everything? Oh yeah. No, no. He's, he's, you know, he's got his iPad and his MacBook and his drip pan and all that stuff. And he's, he's, uh, you know, he's, he's a good middle 30 something year old millennial, perfect target for Gimlet, you know, whatever. And, And we have puppy dogs. Yeah, well, that's ours. It's not Thomas's dogs this time. It's ours. I know. That's funny. Yeah, I've never understood people who don't listen to podcasts. Like, I I really, really love the podcast medium, you know, as a, as a thing. What are they barking at? Um, uh, probably the neighbor dog. Yeah. I don't know. You know, so, like, it, it, it's been interesting the last few weeks because Spotify has been making moves, um, you know, to, to try to become this big player in podcasting. And this is a lot of inside baseball nerdery, but everybody has a hot take on it. So I just kind of wanted to throw out my hot take. But, um, you know, podcast has been around for 15, 20 years. I mean, you know, Dave Weiner and, and Adam uh, Curry, who, who were kind of the two, uh, you know, instigators of, of podcasting. Um, it's kind of like a, like a Leibniz and, and, um, Newton thing, you know, like they were both inventing calculus at the same time. Uh, but podcasting has always been kind of this open platform, right? Where anybody could record and it, it seems easy, but then you kind of get into it and you realize, oh, wait, I need a host. And wait, these these files are kind of big, so I'm, I need to put these things somewhere. Oh, and I have to have a player for it. So, you know, we've created tools over the years to to make this a little bit easier, but it, it still, you know, requires a little bit of nerdery. So companies like Anchor come along and say, oh, you know, podcasting should be free and easy. And it, it's the same thing that happened to blogging uh, 15 years ago where we got Blogger and Movable Tide from WordPress and, and those, those types of companies, uh, WordPress to a lesser extent. But, it, you know, we had companies that moved in and, and sort of took over the, the reins of, of, of the movement, you know, and, and there was a time when blogging was a, a big, big deal, you know, and, and lots of people had personal blogs and um, that kind of went the way of Facebook and then Google Reader shut down after they sucked all the air out of the feed reading space. So it, it was kind of sad to see, you know, that sort of personal blogging open platform network slowly die off. And I'm afraid the same thing is, is happening to podcasting now because it's, it is a, a heck of a, a medium just for content delivery, but also for the advertising side of things. Um, so companies like Anchor and Gimlet and now Spotify are, are getting into, you know, the, the uh, Stitcher, the, those types of companies are getting iHeartRadio. Uh, they're, they're getting into the dynamic ad insertion mm. side of things. So that, you know, you're, you're listening to a podcast about, you know, serial killer or whatever. And then all of a sudden you're going to get a, you know, an ad about your local dentist. And, you know, <laughs> and it's, it, it's kind of gross on one level and it, it's remaking, you know, something like serious, you know, XM radio type thing. 
but at the same time, it feels inevitable, you know, and, and to watch blogging go from where it was, you know, 15 years ago to where it is now with medium and Facebook, it's like, Oh, you know, like we're, we're, we're handing the keys over to the kingdom now. So, well, I will say from my demographic, you know, podcasting can't really stand up to the Insta stories that's what people do and that's what people watch and the yeah, product placement right. in there is insane. Oh, I, I mean, it's, it's how we pay the mortgage is, is marketing. And I mean, Instagram stories right now are, are definitely the hottest place for, for, you know, us bottom feeding marketers to, uh, chill our, our wares. <laughs> but, uh, but it, you know, I, you, you made the remark the other night because you saw part of my Instagram feed and mine is all leather goods not, it's not so like, weird or knives <laughs> so weird or, or hunting stuff or backpack you know like prepper Nothing. survivalist stuff i mean we have our friends and our, our family that we follow the same but even i was watching you watch a story and you watch the insta story so much differently than i do well you just kind of sit there and swipe right i mean you're not even it's like you're on tinder and you're not even really considering <laughs> the <laughs> no. person you're just swiping right well, but I don't run through the whole Insta stories. And so I pick certain people and then I just leave the other ones. Whereas you just click through all of them and yeah. a steady stream. Yeah. It's kind of let so, them go. Yeah, exactly. You just let them run. And I'm I don't a completionist. Do <laughs> because you don't, because if you do that, then you also get the ad stories in there. And that's what people are. That's what advertisers are banking on is the fact that you'll just start a story. The first one that's to the right of your icon and just let it roll. Yeah, exactly. I don't Which do is that. what you're supposed to do. No, I don't do that. It's like, it's like a little mini TV show with all your favorite knives and prepper gear. <laughs> For me. But see, you can silence people on your Insta feed or on Insta stories and you can follow just their stories or just their feed. And so I've done that. Oh, really? So Yeah. So I personalize it. So I see only the stories I want to see. See, and, and that's the thing. Like I, I really push back on the whole stories thing, even though I work in that space every day and I create lots of stories for clients, <laughs> but I've never created one personally. I, no, I think I've done one. Yes, we did one together. Yeah. And you, you had to walk me it through was, it because I was yeah, so scared. Yeah, because it was the... um. Do by Friday? No. Just some challenge, yeah. Yeah, Merlin Mann had a challenge, and you were like, "Well, I need to learn how to do this too." Yeah, he, he's off of Instagram now too, though. So I don't know. I don't know. I, I uh, podcasting and Instagram. I mean, if it wasn't for Instagram, I really think personally I could just quit Facebook and be done with it. I can't yeah. for the business. Um, and, and I say that out of privilege, but you know. Maybe, maybe I could, maybe I could say like, yeah, you know, we're not a marketing agency that does Facebook and Instagram and, and that kind of thing. We don't do that type of social media. You know, yeah. We, I think that you could, cause there are enough other people who do it yeah, that would charge an arm and a leg. So I don't know, but then, I mean, you always run the risk, right? Cause people want the package deal. They want oh yeah, right. the website with the e-newsletter and the social media integration. But that's my thing is like, is I don't like, I so customize the content that I post on Facebook as opposed to Instagram and carefully curate what I put on Facebook that I get annoyed and frustrated with, with people who just have it automatically linked because I don't want it automatically linked. And I want, I want the privilege of having a different experience on Instagram than I do on Facebook because Facebook has so much of my work on it. There's so much business 
especially with churches and pastors. Holy moly. Um, and the number of messages that I get through Facebook Messenger is really astounding. But my, it's, it's almost like two different communities for me. So, I mean, uh, like yes. with, the, with yes, my little Bible saying. study thing. Yes. I mean, but, uh, but I do cross post and sometimes I'll throw it on, onto Twitter because that's a whole nother community. And that's yep. uh, Twitter really is where I am me, you know, and I can, you know, make jokes and, and be funny and, and kind of let my personality out. Um, Instagram is kind of this carefully sculpted, curated, you know, this is what I want people to think about my life. And then Facebook is like you said, kind of more businessy, almost um, promotional, I guess you would say, like, I, I don't, I really don't think of, like last night or a couple of nights ago, I posted something because again, knives, but I had a knife case that had a, like a, a tear <laughs> on the leather and the, the comments I got on Facebook were completely different than the ones on Instagram. And it's two different groups, but it's like my college friends and some older folks on Facebook. And then Instagram was like my survivalist prepper friends who were like, Oh, you gotta do this. And the, you know, so it's, it's kind of funny to see the, the differences, but yeah, like with that Instagram Bible study thing that, that we talked about last week that I do every night, um, the, the comments that I get on Facebook and the people that see it on Facebook seem to be different than the people that are seeing it on Instagram. But I do wonder, cause I mean, you know, I'm friends with lots of those same people and sometimes I'm like, well, you know, maybe I shouldn't keep posting like that. But cause I've always pushed back, especially like with clients who say, Oh, you know, I'm with, you know, let's use buffer or Hootsuite or, yeah, or one of those push apps. It out to everybody. Push it out everywhere. Yeah, no. And uh, I'm not and, a fan of that. Yeah, and, and Facebook's cut that off for the most part because of all the, the ease of sharing fake news. Um, but the the one place you can still push to your Facebook page is from Instagram. But they're owned by the same company. Like, I get that. Yeah, right. But, I mean, I even there are even people who have the same story on Facebook as they do on Instagram, which is interesting to me because I've never, ever done a Facebook story. Yeah. Does anybody your Instagram. age do Facebook, Facebook stories? I've, I've never well, watched I mean, them. I don't I know. I, don't I can tell you that they do do them, but I think that they start in Instagram and just push it out to Facebook. Okay. Now so I'm wondering if I have automatically, uh, there was something that just happened with Instagram, the, uh, an update or something like that. But the default is to automatically post to Facebook which I have to keep turning off because right. I don't want to do that. Right. But every time you'll it, an update or I don't know what triggers it, but there's something where that automatic thing goes back on. And so I have to be cognizant of turning it back off and putting only the posts I want to put on there. Well, evidently, you know, Zuckerberg, he, of course, created Facebook. He, uh, one of his big initiatives this year is to, combine the messaging part of Instagram, Facebook, and uh, yeah, yeah, WhatsApp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen that, and no, no, no. Yeah, and so Wait, Kevin did Sistrom, Facebook buy WhatsApp? Yeah, they, they owned WhatsApp. It was $19 billion acquisition in 2014. We talked about this. Was, was I there? 2015. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a big deal because um, we were like $19 billion. But it, it turns out that uh, about a year before they bought WhatsApp, you didn't know Facebook and WhatsApp? That's funny. I thought I thought they were just considering an accu, uh, um, acquisition. Acquisition. Yeah. No, I no. Yeah. They 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 gobbled it up. It's actually gone through. Oh yeah. So the the founder well, cashed out last year, like and <laughs> and the reason he left was because of this whole messaging uh, integration, and and of course WhatsApp has always been much more, I guess, secure and you know encrypted, peer to peer type 
communications and all you need is a phone number basically to, to create a, an account. Whereas Facebook. Well, and it's international, like all of, when I was in Germany, I used WhatsApp when I got back to communicate with all my friends. Yeah. So uh, you don't have the international data charges or you didn't, I mean, this was nine years ago. Right. But that's still how I communicate with people. Yeah. And, and you can still do the same. I mean, very little has changed so far with it. Um, the terms and services have, have changed. Yes, but what you're saying is it's coming. Ugh. It's coming. They're, they're going to integrate and it's, it's going to suck because it's going to be messenger, Instagram, um, direct messages, which we need to talk about. Cause I think that's fascinating. Like the number of people who DM me on Instagram, who I'm like, well, you have my mobile number. <laughs> no, no, no. But it's up? a separate thing. Yeah. No, it's I mean, huge thing. yeah. And, uh, yeah. It's, and the what's happened. They're all going to combine, but, uh, so Facebook bought this, um, basically like a VPN about a year before they bought WhatsApp and it, it was used heavily overseas. So basically what they were doing is saying, okay, well, lots of people are using this WhatsApp thing and messaging is going to be the new, the next social network. So we need to get ahead of that. Um, so now, you know, looking back in retrospect, it, it seems really slimy what they did because the, there was this other thing where they're paying people like 20 bucks to install this VPN and, and use it. And you were getting paid 20 bucks a month and they were targeting young people, especially. What? Uh, but what it did was basically track everything on your phone. So all of your messaging, all the apps you use, you know, which yes, your Verizon or AT&T carrier can see that. And, you know, for lots of people, you know, Google, uh, Google can technically see that if, you know, if you're on Android, um, and Apple has metrics and, you know, but to, to hand it over to a, an advertising company like Facebook is a little dubious. Um, but yeah. You just so, called them an advertising company. Is that? Yeah. Well, I mean, they are. That's how they make their money. Yeah. But I don't think most people would identify Facebook as a advertising company. But they are, you know, they're, they're an ad tech company. But they, I, yeah, I love how you're like, yeah, but they are. <laughs> I mean, they you are. Don't even, yeah. yeah, I mean, you're not going to even engage in the fact that other people think something different. <laughs> no, but I mean, sure. I mean, they, they have a product that, that, that enables social communications and social networking, but they also have a product that does this and they have a product that does this, you know, and, and all of their products are under the umbrella of, of that company that sells ads and, uh, and sells data. And that's, I'm on the other side buying that data and I'm targeting people who are 30 to 39 years yeah. old who live in Richland County, who make this much money, who drive this kind of car, who fidget with their phones and meetings, you know, and uh, it, it's, it's a nice relationship we have. <laughs> but yeah, don't, don't think it's free. It's not free. I mean, you're, you're, you're paying for it. You just don't you're realize. You're paying for it. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm just, I'm just going to burn it down, quit it all. I'm going to go Jesus. I'm going to, uh, cause I, I don't know. I don't think Jesus would have, would have been a fan of Facebook, you know, maybe he would. He, he liked his wine and his women. So who knows? I don't, I don't know even how to engage in that discussion because that's, I mean, it, perhaps this is what we do every week when we form a sermon or a Bible study and try to apply it to the context here. But yeah. What do you, what do you mean? Well, I mean, like I grew up and with this kind of reasoning or wondering, I guess, would Jesus wear that kind of t-shirt? Would Jesus um, be at that kind of party? And I, I was always so resistant to that because I was like, well, how do we know? <laughs> I'm sorry, but anything that you say as a response to that, 
is so impossible to imagine. Sure, but yeah, because I mean, you grew up in the, in the what would Jesus do era, right? Right. And I mean, uh, perhaps this is just because it's Valentine's Day or it's getting pretty close. So a lot of discussions, again, on purity culture and that kind of thing. But, you know, this discussion all the time, what, you know, Jesus didn't have a relationship in my upbringing. This is what, with um, a female or a male. Oh, good gracious. No. And so would, what would Jesus be like? What would it be like to date Jesus? And I'm like, what? what? Like you had that conversation all the time, all the time. Where is huh. Thomas Whitley? I bet he did too, which is probably even more awkward for him as a male. Um, but yeah, like, would Jesus do that with his girlfriend or boyfriend? And so when you said, would Jesus be on Facebook? It just triggered all of these memories of those discussions and, well, what did y'all decide? They were so serious. Well, yeah. I mean, purity well, culture is a, I mean, a big thing in the 90s. But yeah, I mean, I, I want to unpack this a little bit so I'll know <laughs> more about your hangups here. Was it kind of like a Marjorie Kemp type thing where, where you know, you, you envisaged Jesus floating over your bed at night? Or no. was it? Okay. That was much too mystical and intimate. <laughs> yeah. Jesus was very chaste in my upbringing. That was um, for Kate Hatch, the, the Marjorie Kemp thing. There you go. <laughs> Julian of <laughs> Norwich, that. yes. Um, I was going to say Julie of Norwich, too, um, having just read some of her work. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that would not have been appropriate, especially for a woman to talk about that kind of experience or interaction with the divine. So, so Especially were your, Jesus. Were your middle school and, and high school boyfriends sort of held in, like, like were they held up? Um, they were supposed to be Jesus, right? Yeah. I mean, was yeah. Jesus kind of like a role model for, for yes. morality in, in that sense? Yes. But how are you supposed to even determine or decipher what kind of interaction you were supposed to have if none of the work that says anything about Jesus having a relationship is included? Well, it's just so interesting because, I mean, even in the Gospels, you know, we, we get this depiction of Jesus as being someone who, you know, was probably seen as uh, someone who, who who flirted with the boundaries of, of morality at the time and, and moral codes. And, I mean, he was called a glutton, even in the Gospels, you know, with, with the wine. Um, he hung out with the women, lots of them. Um, Alone. If, yeah, he flaunted. And women he wasn't supposed to be hanging out with. And yeah. for some reason, we see that interaction as not scandalous, but compassionate. Right. And I'm but, like, but wait don't, a second. Don't you do but, that. Don't you go to that party because you, right. you don't want to look like a, a prostitute, but you know, it's okay but for But why Jesus have we that. left the scandal out of those interactions? Because I, I mean, from studying, I think the scandal is part of it and exactly what he was intending to do. Yeah, I mean, and again, I think that's definitely spot on. I think he was he was flirting with those boundaries in order to push people's expectations, just like he did with the Torah, you know, and said, you've heard it was said, an eye for an eye, but I say, you know, turn the other cheek. Um, but no, in my upbringing, Jesus was this chase um, picture. Kind of an ascetic figure. Yeah, and so there are lots of people who interpreted the purity mo movement to mean that you weren't supposed to have any kind of physical interaction with your uh, boyfriend or girlfriend until you got married. 
And I'm talking like not even holding hands, maybe holding hands, maybe, but not kissing nothing until you got married. Yeah. I, I had a girlfriend in high school who was Methodist, who, great person, but she, uh, we, we had these stages and I hope it's okay for me to talk about this on a public podcast. Probably not, but Probably not. you know, it was like, okay, after this many weeks, you can kiss my lips after this many you know months you can touch my leg after this many months you can do you know and it was we were like seniors in high school trying to navigate this this weird thing because she I think she was kind of into that um that that side of of you know morality culture of, of the late 90s you know and, and we were all you know we were watching Ross and Rebecca on Friends trying to do the same thing and navigate You're Rachel, stuff. not Rebecca. Whatever. You're taking a biblical person and putting <laughs> it into poor friends. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Isaac, you know, no, but you know, we we had we had friends going on, and, and you know, that we had sort of uh, hip hop culture. Oh, see, rap you got to watch out. Friends. I didn't get to watch Friends because there was too much sex in it. Uh, yeah, exactly. And there were these young people having sex and living together. And and for us in rural nope. South Carolina, I was like, I want to get to New York City because that looks fun. <laughs> meanwhile, I've got a girlfriend who says I can't touch her leg for eighteen months. Um, well, if Franklin Graham, Franklin Graham, um. Yeah, the out. Franklin Graham roll. Well, yeah. I mean, he, the Billy Graham roll. Yeah, exactly, which we should talk about, too. I mean, that's a whole episode in itself, because I know you've been in situations with males that, or, you know, people who identify as males in, in certain spaces where that was very uncomfortable, but especially as a female pastor. Um, but uh, Franklin and Graham... Other, and other times where I wasn't alone with someone and it impeded my ability to be pastoral. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean... Definitely. Let's put a pin in that. I want to come back. But he tweeted out this image, I believe, yesterday. Uh, I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, promoting some movie. It looks like, you know, kind of a Christian coming of age, deemed, you know, teenage movie type thing. And, you know, it's like, oh, go, go see this great new movie. Um, but the cover art is like on a football field and it's, it's this teenage couple. But the guy has his hand like, like he's kind of sitting behind the girl. And his hand is like way up high on her thigh. And I was like, well, that, that would be considered scandalous when I grew up. But anyway, I, just, I thought that was funny for him to tweet that out because, you know, it, it was, it was uh, not inappropriate, but, you know, it, it was something that I, I wouldn't have expected to, to be posted. But, you know, at least you and uh, this girl that you dated in high school or whether, wherever she was getting, obviously there was some discussion about what was appropriate and what wasn't appropriate. You know, in my upbringing, it was just a big bundle of confusion because you weren't supposed to have sex until you were married, but there was no really guidelines to any other kind of intimacy. And I'm not talking about just physical or sexual, but also emotional. And so a lot of what I experienced were unhealthy relationships, not just me personally, um, but other people in a codependent relationship trying to get everything from the other person and like seriously sapping that person and then moving on to another person and doing the same thing. Because what we had was that uh, Jesus was selfless and Jesus gave of himself um, even unto death. And so if this is the model, then you're supposed to give everything to your partner, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, not your sexuality unless you're married. But I mean, that kind of model of where you're supposed to sacrifice yourself in order to serve the other person is seriously dangerous, I think. And I, I think 
I mean, especially honestly, as I, a, I mean, especially as a woman, because that's right. Yeah, I, I think a lot of women your age now are still struggling with the ramifications of growing up with that in your formative. Oh my gosh. Years. Yes. Because then, and if you have kids, which a lot of women my age do, then not only are you supposed to give yourself to your husband or your partner, but you're also supposed to give yourself to your kids. And so you're constantly giving and giving and giving and sacrificing and uh, submitting, if you will, until there's nothing left. And there's no room for you to say what you need or, you know, anything like that. And you certainly can't express that you need help with any of these things that you biologically were created to do because that just shows, <laughs> um, well, you're not right with God. And I think that's the reason. I if mean, you have to have help. Yeah, exactly. When you look at the astounding number of, you know, male pastors who are, I mean, like this week, I mean, we, we could talk about it if you want, but the, report that came out in the Houston Chronicle about uh, Southern Baptist, you know, male pastors who were, you know, committing these heinous acts of, of sexual impropriety with, with young men and women, um, you know, and, and that going unreported and kind of this culture of, of behavior that we've associated with, you know, kind of the Catholic church and that sort of thing. But, you know, Hey, actually that's happening over here in Baptist land too. Um, and Pentecostal and other mainline Protestant yeah. too. I mean, we haven't even touched the iceberg of the way that this has infiltrated the Protestant church. Well, I mean, especially I mean, just the stories that I hear, and it's not just from people who were raised Baptist because there's conservative upbringing and fundamentalism, not only in churches, but in households who go to church regularly. And so these get intermeshed into so much abuse. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and I, I guess all that to say that uh, I think part of what attracts males of that persuasion to, you know, the ministry or, or leadership positions in something like a Baptist church or a holiness church or whatever, evangelical uh, life, I guess you would say, part of that attraction is the sort of tacit culture of saying, okay, well, you know, Jesus did this and he was a male, so he got away with this. But, you know, you, you young females have to behave like this because you're submitting. And, you know, like there's, there's kind of that structure built in already. So you don't have to go in and like, uh, you know, create your victim. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like just right for the taking, you know, and uh, you can go yeah. in there as a strong male and, and all of a sudden you've got this, you know, kind of uh, open season, you know, fish in a barrel type thing with, with females who were indoctrinated with, with that type of worldview. And Not only so that, dangerous. but males too, who feel shameful about their sexual desires or, yeah, right. you know, their ability to be in a relationship with someone. But so the shame and guilt is not just for females, it's for males right. too. And what we have seen is that the victims are not, Yes, the majority are female, but they are a vast number of males who were who are living with abuse too and can't express it as readily. You know, the Me Too movement has really opened up this conversation for females to express, you know, what they've gone through. Or even if you've seen the reports and the, I don't know if you follow these people on Twitter, because I'm imagining your Twitter feed looks much different <laughs> if our Instagram <laughs> feeds look so different. But there are a lot of females now who have been posting pictures of themselves at the age that they started experiencing sexual abuse. Wow. And 
Um, then reflecting on that, like if only, you know, you can't see it in her eyes, but she knows way too much or she's experienced way too much. And it's just this shocking kind of reality, much like I think, I mean, I've had to kind of draw back from it because it's so difficult for me as a mom of girls (laughs) who are right in that age range that it has this visceral kind of reaction for me and this emotional experience that was very similar to going into the Holocaust Museum and seeing the baby shoes or the kids' shoes or the portraits of the people, the kids especially, who went through that horrific experience and thinking, what have we done in our culture that those kids, you know, and it's a picture, sure, but still those kids have had to live with, deal with, overcome this by themselves in silence. And the majority of this conversation, and this is in reaction to the report that came out about the Baptist pastors in Texas, are females. But I know they're males because you know, I mean, Sexual Trauma Services of the Midlands here, a partner that I work with very closely as a clergy, reports that one in eight or one in seven, one in seven or eight males have experienced a similar thing, but we're not seeing an open conversation about that. Yeah. And it's, I mean, not, not to say that it's different, but I mean, especially in a, in a religious context, I think that most males, you know, I mean, you get taught like suck it up and you know, Hey, this happens to everybody. You know, it's, it's part of the, part of the rite of passage or, you know, whatever, like there's again, that kind of encoded language of, you know, of a culture that, that, explains away the hurt, you know, or the the shame or or the guilt or whatever that that a young boy or or young man might feel, Um, you know, and then of course that comes out and expresses itself. And sometimes it it helps facilitate the the vicious cycle of abuse, you know, people that are abused tend to, you know, later in life have have issues. And sometimes that gets expressed with abusing others, Um, you know, and, and these, these closed circuit, sort of uh, cultures and groups are, are, you know, potentially just uh, breeding grounds for, for that. So, yeah, I mean, the conversation needs to happen and I'm, you know, as a white male, you know, it, it, I'm not going to say it's been easy to go through the Me Too movement and I've had to re-example, you know, re-examine a lot of my past actions and words and, you know, thoughts and everything else. Um, and I'm not saying it's it's hard to be a white male in the United States of America in 2019 because it's it's not. But you know it 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 is a time of reexamination, and I'm I've been trying to do a lot more listening than talking, um, which is hard for me, you know, because I like with the Facebook thing, you know, I, I've got my opinions and I you know I, I know what I know, but you know I think it's time for us to 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 listen and. Uh, and that, that that doesn't always allow for the expression of, hey, you know, this happened to me too, because you don't want to come across as that guy, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, oh, I right, understand the hurt that you're this... going through as a Southern Baptist woman, because I, you know, I had, I had something happen to me too. Well, and... but Thomas and I have talked about this, like the shame and guilt is that we experiencing growing, we experience growing up is similar in a lot of ways, even though he's a male and I'm a female. And where is the room for him to talk about that? It's not because we do this comparison thing of, well, I mean, if you had that, you still had the power and the privilege of being a white male. So your abuse can't be as bad as my abuse as a woman because you had the power and privilege of being white male. 
What? Yeah. I mean, what? Because abuse is abuse. And until we allow people to talk about the hurt and the pain that they experienced, we can't ever hope to stop this cycle. It is. But I, I think right now is the time for us to, to lay back and, and listen, you know, and, and, you know, sort of enable people who aren't white males, you know, says hetero white males, whatever, to express that. And, you know, we, we can do the work that we need to do ourselves, but, you know, we, we've had a pretty good run over the last few thousand years in, in terms of being able to say, you know, <laughs> who heard us. But um, I, I think right now it's, it's a time for, for white males in the United States to, uh, to enable and, and to facilitate and, and listen mm. and to apologize. We, we kind of screwed things up here. Yeah, we well, so well. I don't know about your age group. Well, I mean, you know, I've, I've looked down my nose at the baby boomers my entire life, um, which is a terrible admission, but it's true. Uh, you know, and I'm kind of on that cusp between being a Gen Xer and being a millennial, I guess. I was born in 78, so I'm, I'm but I, I listen to, you know, I'm, I'm techie, whatever, you know, I kind of identify more culturally with the millennials, but I'm kind of like a Gen Xer in that, you know, I went through my goth phase and I, um, uh, I kind of have that quiet resignation that we all have of, Oh, well, <laughs> thanks baby yeah. boomers. <laughs> we're, we're stuck in the middle here. Uh, you know, it's like there, there was a graph on that CBS news put out or something about like, um, you know, how, how different, uh, generational groups, you know, do something and, and they just completely left off the Gen X <laughs> tab. So it went from like baby boomers to millennials and we were like, okay, well that's, that's the most Gen X thing ever. Um, Oh, well, whatever, never mind, you know, to quit Nirvana. Um, you know, so, so for, for us, or for me, I, I don't want to speak for us, um, it, you know, it, it's, it's kind of weird because we're, we're stuck in this age of, okay, well, we're becoming the 50, 60-year-old adults. And yeah, now. Kids, yeah and, and now we're supposed to be the leaders, but the millennials are doing all this great stuff and they get all the press and then the baby boomers are – enjoying Haven't their pensions. exactly moved on yeah yeah and, and we'll never see that and and they're staying in their jobs until 75 and taking away our jobs you know so we're, we're kind of this weird middle stepchild thing that that no one wants to really talk about and um you know it's it's it, it's it, it is interesting though especially being a white male in that demographic i, I think that uh you know we we're we're well posed to um to, to examine kind of the, the sense of the generation before us, but also think about, you know, how we can maybe sort of uh, lead the way or, or be a little more responsible than, than the baby boomers with the environment and, and sexual I like the and, hesitancy there. Like that's so Gen X or two. Well, maybe kind of <laughs> lead the way. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, I know. It, well, so the other day, uh, whereas I, it within me is just this, like, of course I'm going to change the world because I'm a millennial and that's what we're going to do. And we just shrug our shoulders and like <laughs> flip our hair. Um, I, I was, was it the Super Bowl or something? There, were, there was a lot of '90s nostalgia in the Super Bowl ads and and music and that kind of stuff. And what was the band that played the I don't even, the halftime Rune show? Five. Yeah, I mean, isn't that like the most nine like late '90s? Yeah. You know, terrible kind of whatever that period of Fred Durst and Limp Biscuit and Creed type music, Maroon 5. Early oh, 2000. Creed. That's a good reference. 
Oh God. Um, <laughs> I, I, I can tell you some stories. So I, I was, I was watching the Super Bowl, and I was like, wow, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of nineties nostalgia here. And, uh, there were jokes about the Spice Girls and that kind of stuff. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I feel like this must be what my dad felt like in the 80s when I was, you know, quote, rediscovering Kiss and ACDC and, you know, the Rolling Stones and the Beatles and David Bowie. And, you know, he's probably like, oh, my God, you know, this is music from when I was a kid. And, you know, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> you didn't discover ACDC. Like, you don't need to, you know, play for those about to rock it at full you know, volume all the time. Like, I've been through that. Anyway, um, yeah, I mean, you know, nostalgia is a hell of a thing. But for me, you know, just like that part of, I guess, evangelical culture, I, I don't, and I, I don't want to paint all the evangelicals like that because, I, I mean, I still quietly in a Gen X way consider myself an evangelical. Um, I, I think that, which Thomas loves, but I, I think that we, um, I, I part of what attracts me to Christianity is that Jesus in the gospels who was the guy who was flipping things over. Yeah. Scandalous pushing boundaries. Right. And we were talking about that the other night with the scandal on, but that idea of, of, you know, like let's reexamine this. Why, you know, why, or why do we go to work this way? Why do we drive these cars? Why do we eat this type of food? You know, why am I wearing this type of clothing? Why don't I carry this or that? And just, you know, really trying to, put different thought technologies into our head, but at the same time trying to make the world a, a little better for the people that are coming after us. I don't know. I think for me that that's kind of the, the message of Jesus that brings me back, yeah. which I, I think it's buried underneath the, the morality Jesus or the, what would Jesus do? You know, the what, yeah. That's the same thing, right? The, what would Jesus do? That's the age that I grew up in with the purity culture, which was, um, you know, a moral high ground that you had to uphold. But the thing was, none of us, none of us were that chaste. And so basically it taught us just to act like we were someone who we weren't, which is a dangerous thing. And so now I think what at least the millennials are doing are trying to recover and uncover who they really are because we were taught to pretend so much. Well, I mean, and, and you've got Instagram and you've got the stories and you've got that sort of yeah, online pretend, culture. Yes. I mean, you're, you're, you're performative. I mean, you're, you really are the first performative um, generation in that regard. I mean, yes, the baby boomers had the hippies and then they became the yuppies and then they became the preppies and, you know, Gen X, we had Nirvana and you, you wore your flannel and, you know, there was, there was some performance there, but for the most part, it wasn't a, a constant everyday thing. Whereas, and you didn't have the public stage that we've had. Yeah, exactly. Whereas you all have to consider like, okay, do I want to use the crema filter or do I want to use Hudson filter? Because, you know, <laughs> like that's a, it's a big deal. And, and those things express intent, you know, and, and if yeah. you use this filter, like if you use Nashville, you're, you're trying to be a little punky, a little rocky, but if you use crema, you're trying to be smooth and you know, what, what Snapchat filter am I going to use? You know, do I want puppy dog face? Cause that means I'm, I'm feeling this way or do I want this face? And um, you know, it's, it's funny to see people my age using things like Snapchat filters or, or, you know, whatever, and not really understanding, like you, you constantly pick on me for my use of emoji. Cause I'll send something and you're like, um, that's Sam, not what that means. That's, that's a very <laughs> sexual emoji that you just sent. I'm like, it's a zucchini. And you're like, no, it's not. No, just it's not. <laughs> I'm like, but I like eggplant. Um, so 
you know, it, it's, it's a new world for us, but you all are digital natives in that regard. But at the same yeah. time, you're, you're not that, you're not really that tech savvy. If nope. you look at the demographic, which is really funny when, you know, when I have because clients. we don't even know how to turn off the auto posting from one social media <laughs> network to the other. You know, when we have that clients and they're it. like, now oh, we've well, circled all the way back around. Yeah. We, we've got this 25 year old in our church and, and he's going to do the website. And it's like, he's going to be the social what? media manager because you know what? He has an Instagram account. Yeah. But I mean, I have fun. gotten, I got a lot of internships that way and it helped put me through seminary. So, I mean, I'm not knocking that. But yeah. there is some digital literacy that's involved that a lot of people don't have. Yeah. That we think we do have. And and you had the vocal fry and, and you had the up talk. <laughs> we had Valley Speak when I was a kid. Yeah, I don't even know what that is. So. I mean, you have pointed it out, but I still don't know what it is. You just did it. Like when you uh when you when you talk like uh you're on NPR and um you you know, as a female, you kinda let your vocal cords do this. <laughs> no anyway don't at me i'm not trying to make fun of it but watch msnbc for about an hour and you'll you'll see lots of examples of that it's very popular yes and the women commentators yes of a certain demographic um <laughs> we better move on here yeah. it's at um, mariana neely on twitter no. uh, so what else is going on do we solve the world's problems I think that we concluded that Jesus was scandalous, which is a pretty strong conclusion for one episode, I think. Yeah. I mean, to, there's a, a great old old white man song by uh, Chris Christopherson called Jesus Was a Capricorn. And I'll link it in the show notes. But it, it's one of my favorite songs, one of my favorite theological songs. Because Chris Christopherson was a Rhodes Scholar and very, very intelligent guy. Like but he hung it. out with Willie and Waylon and, and those guys. He was actually roommates with my college president at Wofford. Not at Wofford, but when they were Rhodes Scholars. And ah. uh, yeah, <laughs> he knew, knew Bernie really well. Still does. Um, so he, he wrote this song in, in the early 70s called Jesus Was a Capricorn. He ate organic food. You know, it's kind of a, um, you know, when you spit on me, you're spitting on him type thing. And uh, Willie Nelson wrote a song a couple of years later called The Troublemaker. And very yes. similar. Well, yeah, I mean, you know that one because I play it all the time. Um, and I think we've lost that. And maybe we're getting back back to that understanding. But uh, there, there's something powerfully uh, dangerous about religion that, that people don't let into their churches, especially us middle-aged white people, because uh, it's threatening. And it, it can change the system and change how you look at things and change what you wear and what you drive. So you got to be careful with that stuff. Yeah. Change your whole life. That's the hope. Well, thank you. Hey, thanks. I love you. Love you too.